This is the CX Insights Rockstars Podcast. And this is your host, Dr. Frank Buckler, founder and CEO of CXAI. Let's rock this show. Hello, CX Insight Rockstars. Welcome to our new episode, The Way to Get Buy-in. Think like a CFO, present like a CMO by Christian Luck. Welcome, Christian. Thanks for having me, Frank. <laughs> Let me introduce you real quick. Christian is the actual president of, the, of Azumar and the founder of Scalehouse. Prior to launching her own business, she was the CMO of Decipher. She took the role in 27. After receiving uh, Decipher, acquired her startup Forefront Consulting Group. She started her career in market research by working for Lieberman and A.C. Nielsen. So, Christian, maybe let's start uh, with your personal story, actually. How did you transform yourself from starting as a market researcher to now being an M&A advisor? Yes, it is. It's a, it is an odd transformation. My career has had many twists and turns, and I think that I'm a good example of, of someone who uh, likes to learn new things and a testament that no matter how old you are, that you can always learn something new and take a, take a new path. So yes, I started my career out at Lieberman Research Worldwide in Los Angeles. I was a, worked in, um, in data collection and analysis and got really interested in online research back in, you know, sort of the, the, the late 90s. So now I'm aging myself officially. <laughs> and this was, you know, right at the advent of online research. And I was really interested in it. And Lieberman at the time was not going to go into the online space. And so I somehow convinced AC Nielsen to hire me to help build their first online research platform. So I sort of pivoted into a re a, you know, a research and tech role, which knowing nothing about online or technology, as you can imagine, was quite a learning curve for me. <laughs> and then uh, a few years after I joined Nielsen, I realized that a big company is a really tough place to run a, a business that's really a startup. And so uh, another woman that was working at Nielsen in a sales role, she and I left and started a company called OTX which actually became the fastest growing research firm in the world in 2002 and 2003 because we hit the, the dot-com boom just perfectly. We ended up selling that company to a private equity firm and then eventually to Ipsos. Then I started a data visualization um, and data collection platform that I, as you mentioned, sold to Decipher back in 2007. And then we sold Decipher to Focus Vision uh, in 2000. 14. And ironically, now I'm back working with the Focus Vision team. I now sit on the board of Forsta, which is the combined entity for uh, Conferment and Focus Vision, which merged uh, just this last year. So I've, I've come full circle. But yes, after I, after I left Decipher, I, I had an opportunity to really figure out what I wanted to do next. And I, I spent a lot of time thinking about what I really loved and what I 
what I realized I really loved is I, I didn't really like the starting of companies so much. I really loved the scaling of them and every challenge and hurdle that comes with growing companies. And so that's how Scalehouse came to be. And then I went and got my investment banking license in 2019 so that I could legally do M&A work within the um, U.S. and globally. And so now I also work as an M&A advisor as part of my scaling practice. So it has been a very long and very diverse career. <laughs> That's very interesting. Yeah, that uh, of course, you sold so many companies. Obviously, you need to know something about this, right? Yeah, I think, you know, and I think it's interesting, you know, for most of the folks that work in M&A in this sector, you know, marketing technology and services, most of them have never started a company themselves. You know, they haven't worked in the business, so they don't really understand the insights business, nor have they been a founder. And so I think I bring a really unique perspective to the M&A process because I've gone through it through both sides now, both as uh, you know, a seller, a buyer, and now as an investment banker. Yeah. So uh, I think I saw you in person two years ago at the Isomar conference in Edinburgh. Yes. And you so, were uh, also a moderator. Was, yeah, you were moderating. Last in person in yeah, the event. That was fun. That was fun. I hope <laughs> this will come soon back. Yes. Hopefully. You were moderating this, this set, session. I think it was the name, right? Think like a CFO and act like a CMO. Was no, this, no. I actually moderated a session that was based. It was about M and A trends in market research. However, wow. my my favorite keynote of that conference was a talk by Chris Burgrave, uh, and it was about his uh, book that he had put out. But he had a line from that presentation called Think Like a CFO, Present Like a CMO that really resonated with me because I think one of the biggest challenges that insights professionals have, whether you're in CX or in market research, is that we tend not to look holistically at the bigger picture of what's going on in a company and the overall company's performance, which is how a CFO thinks. They think, you know, what how, what's the ROI on this investment or how are we going to increase profitability or how are we going to increase revenue, nor do we tend to present like a CMO. We tend to show our clients lots of slides of data charts and give very long explanations rather than thinking about what is the, what's the impact on the company's marketing or marketing spend and you know, what's the net result that we're delivering, whether that's saving a company time or saving it money. Yeah. So how, how in more detail would a CX Insight professional, what should he do to really think like a CFO, maybe act like a CFO, but then present like a CMO? Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, I think the first is, I you know, and I see this happen in a lot of companies is that there, there's too much focus on individual projects and not enough focus on strategy. And so as researchers, we have a tendency just to get focused really on an individual project without taking the time to understand what the overall company strategy is, which is what will ultimately um, allow you to understand what the financial objectives for the company are which is how a CFO thinks. 
So, you know, you know, doing more strategic account planning, asking more questions about what the company's overall objectives are, I think is a really important part of the research process that generally researchers tend to skip over in favor of specifics about projects. So, so what, what you're suggesting is step out of what people ask you to do, uh, do this, but actually do something in addition to that. Ask yourself, not just what my stakeholders want for me right now yeah, in terms of projects, but ask yourself, what does a company want? And basically do a more proactive approach, maybe even you know, suggest certain approaches, suggest certain projects. Yeah, I think it's not just, I, I think having, you know, asking questions about what the company's overall objectives are and what their revenue objectives are, I think is important. I think that gives you a better understanding of what the goals are for the company versus just getting the project specifications and trying to complete a project without really understanding how that project ultimately ties in to the overall objectives of the company. And I think that's, you know, that's something that's sort of built into big consulting. So if you, you know, if you worked for a McKinsey or a Bain, for example, or BCG, you know, those types of questions are sort of inherent and part of your process. It's less so on the market research or CX side of the business, where again, I think we, we tend to think a little too project specific. And so because of that, we don't ever really get into strategic conversations about our clients' businesses. Actually, this uh, title and this quote reminds me to the last episode, actually, where Thomas Barta, a um, marketing leadership guru, he, he said, actually, act like a CFO. And what he meant by that is basically the CFOs, they have the power for a reason, because they provide transparency how everyone else is doing yeah and he says actually uh, in cx insights everyone has we have the data too right we do uh, if, if we can provide something if we can act like a cfo provide basically telling everyone how he's doing and then therefore providing prefer pressures to others you would become more powerful if you play it like a cfo is this in line with your with your message yeah, absolutely. So then if you then start thinking in terms of strategy, yeah, uh, how, how do you, what should you uh, do to sell your, your insights, your, um, your work as an insight professional? How do you sell it or what are the mistakes people are doing there? Yeah, well, this is where the present like a CMO, I think, comes into play. I think oftentimes we tend to get too data centric with our presentations. And that's not to say that we shouldn't share data, but I think shorter presentations, more visual presentations, ones where we're not just showing data table after data table after data table are really important and being able to show things in an you know, interactive and more visual way. And I'll tell you a funny story from the early stages of my career, I was, um, working in Los Angeles in Hollywood. So I worked in entertainment research at the beginning of my career. And I can remember I went into um, 20th Century Fox at the time to um, uh, give a presentation to the CMO and um, their research team about uh, some movie testing that we had conducted. And 
I remember I maybe was three or four slides into my presentation and the CMO got up from his desk. He laid down on the floor and he said, wake me up when the data is over. (laughs) (laughs) And (laughs) it was, Frank, it was probably one of the more horrifying moments of my career because you know, I had about another 30 or 40 slides of data. <laughs> I was kind of, you know, woefully unprepared for that comment. Uh, and, but it was a good lesson to me that, you know, we need to be more creative about how we deliver, you know, the results of our research. And we also have to understand, too, that not everyone come, you know, comes from a really data-centric background. Now, Given that, you know, when I gave that presentation, it was, you know, in the early 2000s and marketing was quite a bit different than it is now. Now, most CMOs are very data centric. You know, they are very, you know, well versed in how to translate and, uh, and manage data and they use data very heavily to inform their marketing spend. But back in those days, it, that certainly wasn't the case. Uh, that said, I do think that we're fortunate now that we live in a time where there are lots of reporting dashboards and more interactive ways and more always-on opportunities um, for folks to access data in in a way that's more meaningful to them than just very long PowerPoint reports, which is what I used to deliver. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the human, we all have the same brain, right? And the brain is lazy. It's really hard to think, right? So yes, I think yes. that there's a truth which will not expire. Yes, there was a there was a company uh, in San Francisco that, uh, and I can't remember the name of the woman now that was running it at the time, but it's a, they have a presentation psychology um, training course, and it's called the Rexy method. And one of the one of the um, the things that really try to stress during that training is that people really only remember about 10% of what you present. And so how do you get that 10% across as many times as possible in in your presentation? And how do you make sure they're paying attention when you're saying that 10% message that you're really trying to convey? And so I'm, you know, I find presentation psychology really fascinating. I think it's something that's really important, not just for people that are in sales roles, but also for you know, anybody who wants to have an impact within an organization. Yeah, I totally can re- relate. You know, I, I speak regularly also at ESOMA, and I'm always astonished to hear the questions of the, of the people that come to me and ask things and where, where I'm saying, that's what I told two times. But uh, obviously, I, I, I was not good enough, right? So you right. Really need to... Uh, they they are not wrong. They are the the audience, right? So if they don't get it, I did something wrong. So it's, right. it's a lifelong experience for me too. Right, <laughs> uh, right. Learning experience. Yes. So um, you know our topic today is basically yeah how to how to gain leadership buy-in, and you are the president of Isomar. Um, <laughs> so is is there? any benefit in this regard to, to when joining Isomar, does it help uh, to, to get get more power or more, more say in, in, your, in your organization? Um, yeah, you know, I mean, I was a member for 11, almost 12 years before I became the president of SMR. So I was on council on the board um, for seven years before I ran for president. Uh, you know, what I would, 
you know, say about SMR was that it fundamentally transformed my career in many ways, you know, in large part because I, you know, I spent probably the first 15 to 20 years of my career working predominantly in the United States. You know, now the United States is the largest research market in the world and it's a big country land mass wise. And so there's a lot of territory to cover, but it wasn't until I joined SMR that I, I think I really was able to gain more international perspectives. Uh, and that in turn helped me understand how to communicate with stakeholders, key stakeholders in other countries. There are a lot of cultural nuances to how people communicate, how they like to be spoken to, how you address somebody, you know, the U.S. in general. And it's interesting because I'm, I'm talking to you today, as you know, from Greece, um, which is my second home. Now I spend, you know, about half the year here and, um, you know, how you would phrase something in English or from an American perspective is very, very different than than how you would, you know, uh, uh, you know, I think uh, approach the same conversation in in Greece or in many countries in Europe, and so there are diff- just different expectations about communication and um, uh, and how you know how people how people speak and and work. And SMR has been really fundamental in helping me un- understand that, and also allowing me to connect with people like you, Frank. I don't think we would probably have ever met had I not joined SMR. And so now I have this like worldwide network of friends and colleagues that, you know, play different roles in insights and CX and, um, and, and data technology and analytics that has really been invaluable to my career. Yeah. I really like also the ISMR uh, uh, conferences because they are not just conferences. They are like a community. They're like a party. There's soul in there. Uh, and this uh, basically goes over to the audience. Yeah? They meet each other differently. So I can recommend to, to join these, these uh, events. And also you, you have these um, client-only events as well uh, worldwide where you can meet peers. So that's, that's very interesting. We do, yeah. So time is nearly up. Uh, uh, Christian, what, what question did I forgot to ask you? What would be... A good question. <laughs> well, you know, I think that the question that I get a lot is that um, is that people, you know, I think I think people make assumptions when they look at my LinkedIn profile that everything that I've done has been an amazing success, which is, you know, which is never the case. <laughs> There's lots of bumps along the way, and um, I think, you know the reason that my businesses or my ventures have turned out the way that they have is that I've learned to let go of a lot of, a lot of tactical responsibilities that are better done by someone else. I really try to focus on strategy. You know, one of the things that I, you know, sort of espouse in my consulting practice is you know, founders and CEOs and executives really need to be working on the business and not so much in the business. And that's really challenging to do when you enjoy working in it every day because strategy and things like sales and marketing like those are, those are not fun or easy jobs. I think for a lot of us, they take uh, a lot of specialization, a lot of focus and strategy is not something a lot of people enjoy focusing on. And so 
I would say that. And, and also, you know, one, there's a saying that my father always said to me because I'm a chronic perfectionist. I like everything to be done a certain way. And I'm convinced that I'm the only one that can do it the right way. <laughs> uh, and I remember he, he always told me, you know, don't let perfect get in the way of good enough. And I think, you know, as, as founders, as business people, yes, of course, we want our work to be high quality and we want it, you know, to have an impact, but not every single step along the way has to be perfect in order for it to get out the door. <laughs> so this is also transferable to even the corporate world, right? So for sure, not enough to, to be a good market researcher, right? You need yeah. to think, think strategy. How can I um, basically sell my work? Yeah? You are kind of an internal startup or, or company, right? Vendor. Sure. Yeah, it's interesting. Alex Gelman, who's a good friend of mine, and he's the former CEO of MTAB, he, he came out of McKinsey before he, um, he ended up buying MTAB. And um, he gave a really great presentation a few years ago, and it was called Why Big Consulting is Eating Market Research for Lunch. And a lot of it was just based on the fact that researchers, whether that's a CX researcher or a market researcher, you know, we are not as I mentioned earlier in this talk, we're not being strategic enough in terms of the questions that we ask and in terms of really taking the time to understand our clients' businesses. And that's what big consulting does. You know, they really dig in and they take that time to, to understand the business before they start making recommendations or running research. And so we need to do a better, better job of asking those tough questions early on. That, that's a good final word because it closes the loop very much so. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Christian, for, for being in the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Bye-bye. Bye. This was an episode of CX Insights Rockstars. Join the CX Insights Rockstars on LinkedIn and keep on rocking CX Insights.